Welcome into another edition of the Email Online Podcast. Mason Voth, Alec Bussey here from Email Online with Rivals. As we get to recap, you know, it, it's signing day to me. I know that there's another one coming up. This is obviously the important one now because almost the entirety of everybody's classes are going to sign uh, in this period. So the early signing day is like the real signing day now, but then there will be another signing day that comes. Uh, if you're a casual follower of recruiting, you're going to be very confused over the next couple of months because some of you might say to yourself, oh, man, well, didn't they already commit? Well, like, what's the deal here? Well, yes, they did commit, but they had to wait to sign, even though they knew that they wanted to go to school somewhere. So that's how it works. And K-State has put together a pretty good class for 2023. I know Alec has been doing a lot of homework and research on the history of K-State recruiting classes uh, over the last couple of days. And I did a little bit of that too, because I was reading uh, I, one of your stories that you had put together that, that's up on email online right now that was kind of previewing uh, National Signing Day for K-State and talking about, you know, the history of like Avery Johnson as a singular prospect coming to K-State, where it's the first number one in-state kid since uh, 2004, I think it was, when depending on which service you look at, Rivals has Nick Patton as the number one recruit in the state, a quarterback from Winfield, I believe. Number two was Matt Boss, an offensive lineman from Cherryvale, who was also a commit to K-State. So that's the first time that's happened in a long time. Then in addition to that, nationally, he is the highest ranked national recruit that K-State has gotten at number 80 since Lamarck Brown in 2007, who was number 71. Uh, Lamarck Brown, I, I can't tell you how it ended because I was pretty young. But I do remember Lamarck Brown, like, be, you know, he was serviceable. He did good things, but uh, I guess never really blew me away. I love the name Lamarck Brown, though. Uh, so that, that's my takeaway there. So you have the singular history that goes with Avery Johnson, and then you also have the excitement of the overall class, which after the commitment of Asa Newsom uh, the, day, the day before signing day, the night before, uh, that moved K-State up to number 30 in the class of 2023. Uh, so you can rattle off some of the other statistics that K-State having the 30th ranked class means historically for them. Yeah, in the last decade, K-State hasn't had a class that's ranked in the top 30. Um, their highest ranked class in the modern recruiting era, which is kind of like around 2002. That's when rivals kind of jumped onto the scene and started ranking kids the way that they currently do and ranking classes the way that we all kind of know um, is the 14th ranked class in 2002. So ironically, the best class that K-State has ever had was actually the first one that we ranked. Um, and then they also did really well in 2004. They landed um, the 18th ranked class. But really since 2007, when they had the 27th ranked class, K-State hasn't been known as a consistent top 40 recruiting uh, program. And obviously, um, you know, looking at where they're at with this 2023 class, it's a historic class. It's the best class that Kansas State has signed since the 2007 or 2008 class, I should say. And it's by far the best of the Chris Kleiman era. Chris Kleiman obviously gets hired in 2019. I don't hold that one too much against him because he only had a few months to recruit, but that class ranked 68th nationally, the 2020 class, just a weird one. Um, when you kind of think about all the circumstances, not getting an opportunity to scout very many kids was ranked 49th on um, the 2021 class, which still had some residual effects of COVID when you talk about scouting and being able to get out on the trail and just see kids work out and observe kids at games. Like a lot of those things were still kind of carried over to the 21, 2021 class. And that class ranked 60th 
Um, and then obviously this one coming off of a big 12 title is his best class. Like you said, it's probably going to finish at worst in the top 35, assuming that some teams move up or some teams move down, but at worst, this is going to be a top 35 class that K-State signs um, in the early signing period. So that's obviously something that K-State should be really proud of. It's a really good class. There's a lot of players that I know they're very excited about, obviously headlined by a top 100, top 80 overall prospect in Avery Johnson, who um, I feel like we should just call the golden boy of K-State football at this he point. Is. Like I feel like he is the golden boy, um, golden hair that streams down to his shoulders, right? Like, really talented we saw how great he was in the army all-american game avery johnson is a golden boy he deserves a ton of credit i think for helping k-state bring in a lot of the kids that they have in this class you talk to any kid that commits to k-state or any kid that k-state is recruiting and they talk about the importance of avery johnson in this class they talk about their relationship with him and um, how much he's in their ears how much he's sending them messages um, i remember when wesley watson the wide receiver from college jason texas committed he talked about how cool it was to be able on the be able to be on the field for the Oklahoma state game that K state won 48 to nothing. Um, and to talk with Avery and to talk with Avery's mom about how much Avery's mom wanted him to be at K state. Like it wasn't just Avery recruiting these kids. It was Avery's parents recruiting these kids that K state wanted. So all things considered, this is a great class for K state. Um, it ranks in the middle of the big 12, which is pretty on par. Um, when you kind of think about some of the programs that they're going to have to recruit against, but yeah, it's a great class, and I think Chris Kleiman and his recruiting staff, headlined by Tyler Bratt, um, Taylor Bratt, excuse me, should be really proud of the work that they did. Well, yeah, it's good that you point that out because no matter who you talk to in this, whether it was Avery or anybody else that committed to K-State, they would always talk about you know Avery's involvement in the recruitment of some of these other guys, and he was active in trying to get other guys on board with joining him at K-State. And not just him, but also the other guys from the state of Kansas that I think took a lot of ownership in being a part of this class and, and wanting to continue to help grow what K-State was building. I mean, that, that string of commitments that they got where they were able to go from the spring of last year into the middle of summer where they were able to get local guys like Camden Beebe out of Kansas City. Then they got Wesley Fair and Will Ancio out of Wichita – and then uh, briefly Dylan Edwards from Derby, and then not Dylan Edwards from Derby, but it didn't matter because at that point you had your four-star quarterback in Avery Johnson, who was he? I mean, he was the crown jewel of this class from the get-go. Everybody knew that one because quarterback is the most important position you have, and two, I mean, it just there was something that was always special about the vibe he had, and part of it has to be the look. I mean, uh, Colin Cowherd, who is very much a, a divisive figure in some circles. He has this rant that used to play on the radio station I worked at where it would be like one of his promos. And I think he used it for like some of his TV hits, but he, he talked about this term called quarterback face where, you know, why is it that all the quarterbacks are, are good looking? Well, it's because at an early age, like they get picked out and it's like, okay, like you're the stud, like you have the looks, you have the size, you have everything. We're going to devote, our main position to you. Avery Johnson has everything that goes with being what most people assume will be a very successful quarterback at case. I mean, the talent is there and he just fits a look for a guy that's going to go into to, to doing great things at K-State. So that was a big get. And those guys all did a, a really good job of pitching in. And when it was a dude like Wesley Watson 
in town. Avery Johnson was able to, to kind of get on him and, and shoot him a text and tell him just how special it was. You think of guys like Asa Newsom, who just committed recently and is a, a fresh addition to the class. Like, it doesn't matter what position or where in the country these guys came from. Uh, it was a lot of work that was put in, not just by Taylor Bratt and the staff at K-State, but also the fact that you had a class of dudes that all seemed to, to really enjoy K-State, are excited about it, and they wanted to help contribute in some way too. And, and that's another thing, like uh, going back through today and looking at messages traded back and forth and, and what we uh, had quoted in stories from the guys when they committed, almost every single one of them that was in Manhattan for a game this year talked about the environment that Bill Snyder Family Stadium presented to them, and they enjoyed the vibe that Manhattan had towards the college experience for them, which was there's only one thing that matters most in Manhattan, Kansas, and that's K-State. And that was a big deal to a lot of these people. So there were a lot of things that came together, uh, and it's no coincidence that not only does Chris Kleiman reach the peak of his career at K-State on the field this year, but also off the field, they come at the same time. And I, I think it's a pretty clear indicator of what can happen when you give a guy that, that has all the tools to be successful the right amount of time, the right circumstances, because as you mentioned, like the circumstances were not right the first, you know, three years that he was here. Like in the 2019 class, he comes in and like, what's he going to do? Like Bill Snyder was just fired. The Snyder regime was not recruiting well. He has very little time to put anybody together. Uh, so wipe that one out. And then the class of 2020, it's mostly normal. Then COVID hits. And then 2021, you're dealing with it all. Last year, there were limitations. This was the first real cycle that Chris Kleiman got to experience at K-State with the staff. And they hit a home run with what they were able to do. Uh, one thing I want to touch on real quick before we dive back into this class is you talked about um, the 2021 class or the class of 2020, which was weird. The guys that had to uh, make their decisions uh, ahead of COVID taking place. Um, even though it was the 49th ranked class, it's so weird to see because half of these guys aren't at K-State anymore and half of them turned into the dudes that helped them win the Big 12 championship this year. So uh, let, let's, let me start with the good. Um, Deuce Vaughn was in this class. Deuce Vaughn was a, a 5.5 rivals rating three-star from Round Rock, Texas. Outplayed that? What? You think he's outplayed that? Uh, just a little bit. We uh, you have that one. <laughs> you have Will Howard, who was a 5.5 quarterback out of Pennsylvania that uh, had committed. And then you also had a 5.4 two-star defensive end named Felix Andy-DK, uh, which, you know, things – He outplayed that rating. Yep, he's outplayed that one. Uh, then you also had contributors on the team, like Cody Stuffel being a defensive end, who got time this year. Uh you also have Hadley Panzer was a part of that class, a starting offensive lineman for the class, the Cats. Nate Matlack was in there as well. But as you go down the list, you also have dudes that didn't amount to much or appeared from K-State in this class as well uh, that have already transferred out or looked for new homes. So that's kind of what you're going to get with recruiting. Uh, and that's the thing, even though this class is stellar for K-State and they all look like winners right now, I'm not trying to be Mr. Like Bad News um, you know, there's going to be quite a few of these kids that we actually never hear from of what they do on the field. But the thing to take away from this all is that 
every single one of these guys, you can look at them and say that they have the opportunity. And with the track record that Chris Kleiman and his staff have, any single one of these guys, it's not going to surprise us if they turn into something significant. I mean, you, you look at the lowest rated member of this class, and that's not me saying that. That's what uh, the, the rankings say. But Jack Fabrice is a, a guy that's going to be on the defensive side of the ball from Georgia. His dad was obviously on Snyder staffs for a long time at K-State. He might be the smartest dude that they've got in this class in terms of his football knowledge. And there's there's some sneaky good stuff to like from him as an athlete going into this thing. Like, it shouldn't surprise anybody if three years from now, the talk is looking back at this class and you go, oh, man, he, he was only a two-star two. Like, he's doing some good things. Uh, I'm sure we can go back and look at, you know, tons of guys on the roster from this year that were under the radar, even more so than Deuce and Felix for what they did. So that's kind of the thing you get with this. It, it's fun for K-State to have the top-end talent um, because it's not just about having a four-star quarterback that basically everybody in the country wanted to play for him, and, and he chose K-State. But it's also the fact that the the level has been risen by Chris Kleiman's staff and the fact that you look at some of the three-stars, K-State's got five. 5.7 rated three stars, which is just a tick below getting that four-star status. And if you go back and look through at classes prior, K-State had three of those last year. Um, and you can go back further than that. They had a couple, they had two in 2021. That was Jake Rubley, who was a four-star. Devontae Pritchard uh, go to 2020, and they ended up having none. Like, they have not only risen the level of the high, high end of guys that they've gotten, um, but they're also getting some of those hiring guys that are in the middle part of the class. And I think that's significant too, um, because you, just like anything, you want to try and limit the misses and the way that this staff recruited this year, it's not a certainty, but they definitely limited, I think the big misses, uh, which is a significant deal moving forward. Yeah. And I think you said a lot of really good things there about how you know, there's kids in this class who are ranked as a high three-star. There's kids who are ranked in this class as a four-star. Like, that doesn't necessarily mean that that individual kid is going to hit and become a superstar for K-State. That doesn't necessarily mean that kid's going to fail and become um, a miss for K-State. What recruiting rankings show is that a majority of four-stars hit, but there's some that don't. And same thing with five-stars. Like, just because a player gets a five-star rating doesn't necessarily mean that that player is going to become a superstar at the college level and become a first round NFL draft pick. But as a whole, and generally speaking, those players do become more successful. So when you look at classes that are higher ranked, when you look at the classes that Alabama and Georgia and Ohio state and look the class at Texas A&M signed last year that had, I think 18 top 100 recruits, like that class is likely to hit and likely to have a lot of really good players because there's a lot of really good players in that class. There might be some that don't hit. But generally speaking, when you're able to recruit at a really high level, your floor as a program is so much higher than what it is when you're recruiting at a lower level. And if you just go kind of and look at what K-State's been able to accomplish with some of these lower-ranked classes, I mean, the end of the Bill Snyder era um, was at the end of the 2019 season, correct? Uh, the end no, of the 2018, 2018 season, season, but 2019 season. recruiting class, yeah. So if you look at Bill Snyder's last three full classes, four full classes. The 2016 class ranked 80th in the country. 
The 2017 class ranked 61st in the country. The 2018 class was pretty solid, ranked 52nd in the country, but he never coached the 2018 class. So his last three classes that he coached were 44, 80, and 61st nationally. It's hard to win with a lot of kids that maybe don't have as many Power 5 offers um, as schools that you're competing against directly, especially in the Big 12, where you're going to play Oklahoma every year. You're going to play Texas every year, as long as they're in the league for another year or two. You're going to play Oklahoma State, a program that's generally recruited fairly well, kind of similar to K-State, but maybe has a little bit of a higher floor in recruiting just because they're a little bit closer to Texas. They obviously are in Oklahoma, which has a little bit more talent um, than Kansas does, but you're competing against TCU. You're competing against Baylor. Like Those programs are able to have higher floors because they're bringing in talent that's closer to them um, and higher floor talent over the history of the sport, right? But now you're seeing that K-State under Chris Kleiman, at least in this one class, Looks like that their attention is maybe shifting a little bit towards getting higher ranked players. And if you can kind of see what K-State's doing with players who aren't ranked super highly, that includes winning a Big 12 title. That includes going 9-3 and three and playing now Alabama in the Sugar Bowl at the end of the month. Like that should make Kansas State fans, I think, really excited about what the future of this program could be if they continue to recruit at this level. And I think what Chris Kleiman said at one point um, on Monday when he spoke with us was, it's hard to get it to this point. It's harder to sustain it at this point. How you sustain it at this point is by recruiting really talented players. And I think Chris Kleiman kind of gets that because he clearly could have just stayed and been happy with recruiting classes that ranked in you know the 49 to 60 range. But yeah. he didn't want to do that. Clearly he didn't want to do that because he just recruited a class that ranks inside the top 35 at worst. Um, well, so I think he understands that. And you can, and you can certainly make all the excuses – or like reason with yourself why, you know, having a, a class ranked, you know, inside, you know, the 45 to 60 range is okay at K-State. Like, absolutely. It, it is, it is the middle of the country. Uh, there's not as much talent in, in this part uh, of the country, although there is more than what some people typically think. And when there is talent in state, and I think this is something that gets overlooked a lot by people because you think, oh, well, you, you should be able to, to haul this guy in or, that guy in and, and everything else because they're in your backyard. I think it can be just as tough, if not harder to try and sell to a guy, especially like Avery Johnson that, that Hey, uh, I know you grew up the first 18 years of your life in the state of Kansas. Uh, and you have this serious talent and you could go anywhere you wanted, And you could go to this big program. You could go far away, experience something new, but I mean, do you want to come play football only two hours away from home and, and all that? Like, for some people, that's fine. But there are a lot of people, and I think sometimes it gets overlooked, that like these kids go through this, and if they had the opportunity to go somewhere further from home, that they would probably take it. And I, people have to think about that. Like Even just you know thinking of, uh, for me, I was the type of person that if I had been like some of the people that I went to high school with and I went to Hutchinson Community College for two years, or I was less than an hour away from home and I went to Wichita State, which disgusting. I would never go to Wichita State. That would have killed me. But if I had, like, A, I would have been miserable. That's too close to home. And, and B, like, there's this obligation to still have, like, you're not as independent as you want to be. To me, two hours felt like it was the, the right space away from home, where if I needed to get back for something, I could do it in a day. But also, it wasn't like I didn't see my family every single day. And it was, you know, like a special occasion or something. And I only went home, I think, like once every two months. So for some of these kids, 
like being close to home and having the opportunity to get further away, like that's a big deal to him. So I think it's also significant that you look at it right now. So Rivals uh, has a top 12 this year for the state of Kansas. K-State ends up coming away with, uh, with six of the top 12 uh, in the state, including the, the top player uh, in Avery Johnson. And then uh, what I think are a lot of talented dudes that um, depending on how things work out, like, are easily going to overperform the rating they got. Like Jordan Allen at defensive end is going to be, uh, I think, a monster for him. Andre Davis is a wide receiver uh, that continues to get a lot of love. And then, like the Wichita guys, uh, in addition to Avery with Wesley Fair and Will Ancio, like I, those are two dudes that I saw in person prior to even their senior year playing. And you could see, like, there was some serious stuff to like about them, especially like Will Ancio is a guy from Capen. He's playing tight end in an offense that does not throw the ball that much. They were reliant on their running back, Amari Elias, who's a, a class of 2024 guy that is going to get some looks uh, around the country. Um, they handed the ball to him as just like, hey, run for 200 yards a game for us because that's what Capen did. They didn't have uh, maybe the most talented thrower. But in a season like this year, their, their 2022 season, so Ancio's senior year, he still averaged like 90 receiving yards in a game for a team that was – like 110, 120 passing yards per game. And whenever he made a play, like he's, he made serious plays. And he's also a dude that I've seen on the basketball court and helped be one of the best players that was on a team that was the number one seed in 5A last year at the state tournament. And if it wasn't for a crazy upset by the eight seed who went on to actually win the state tournament last year, like Capen very easily could have been a state champ with Will Ancio as one of their best basketball players. So there's a lot of talent there. And then obviously uh, a lot of people know about Camden Beebe, who is an offensive lineman from Piper. And obviously his brother Cooper has had a great career at K-State and done a lot of good things. And both, I mean, Co Cooper came in as not a guy that was this big time deal. He morphed into that. And I think that's kind of a similar thing that you can probably expect from Camden. Like it certainly helps to have your brother come in and do it before you. Uh, and we've seen that kind of be the story at K-State in the past, where um, you'll have somebody related come in and do something really good. And then, you know, w whether it's a son or a brother that comes in afterwards, it may not seem like there's as much uh, on paper or as a high school recruit, but they get there and they still turn into something big. I mean, it, Tyler Lockett, he had obviously the genes to be a great K-Stater, but it wasn't like he was this, you know, mega four or five star uh, by the recruiting services, which he should have been. You would have thought based off how successful his dad and uncle were in college at K-State during a time where they were really successful. And I, I look at it the same way with Tyler's brother, Sterling, who's on the roster now, uh, who it seems like, you know, uh, had a, a successful freshman year in, in his growth and development. And so I think the BBs are, are in a position like that as well. So there's so much to like about, the individuals that make up this class as a whole, especially um, the handful of guys that are from the state of Kansas that, that make up this class and are going to be really significant uh, because it's brought up every year. But uh, that K-State KU game, like KU has under 15 kids every year on their roster that played in, in the state of Kansas. That's scholarship guys and walk-ons, but all that included. Like KU's under 15. K-State is continuously like – 
double and three times that what KU has. And, and it's a big deal for that game. It's also a big deal just in general for ownership of the program and having a, an even deeper tie to it. Um, and, and so I think it's, it's important to have guys like that, that, that want to be at K state and deserve a lot of credit for, for choosing to stay close at home, because I understand how easy the decision could be to go elsewhere. Yeah. And I think you wrap that up really well there. It's, and I don't want this to come off as raw. Like, I don't want this to come off as offensive to K-State. But if you're an in-state recruit, like, K-State and KU maybe lack a little bit of a sex appeal, assuming you're a high-level recruit, that another program might be able to offer you. I mean, and that's just, like, kind of the reality of it. Like, I understand that K-State's had a lot of success in the last 20, 30 years, right? And now that they have a Big 12 title, like, that obviously increases it. But Kansas State's never going to have the national brand or the national following or the excitement of a Notre Dame. And I know that's a school that K-State lost a couple kids to at points this year. Um, and I I understand that Dylan Edwards ended up leaving yeah, they, Notre Dame. They lost, going. they lost one and a half kids to Notre Dame this year. Joe Otting was a, an offensive lineman from Hayden that went there. And then uh, the half is Dylan Edwards, who was committed to Notre Dame for a little bit after K-State. But honestly, yeah. like Dylan Edwards is a good example of it. And I, you know, I, I think that there are other things at play with uh, what Dylan Edwards was looking for that, that K-State couldn't provide. But at first, he was committed to K-State. Uh, and he had, you know, that appeal. But then as it kept going and he had chances to look elsewhere, like, okay, Notre Dame becomes really attractive. Like they are this big national brand still. And that's something where when you're, when you're growing up and you're learning the history of college football, like Notre Dame is one of those teams that's always going to get mentioned. And then what it took to get Dylan Edwards away from Notre Dame was somebody else that could bring a national spotlight somewhere and it's not because Colorado is some great football program, but it's because the guy that is now leading Colorado is somebody that brings a lot of eyeballs and a lot of energy and a lot of excitement that can be easy to sell to some of these guys. And well, like, you know, Dion's also, like. also Dylan Edwards' youth coach. I don't know if you knew that, but that's something I've yeah. read um, that altered his decision um, because he was being recruited to Jackson State mm -hmm. by Dion and Dion staff when Dion was still at JSU. But Dylan Edwards wanted to be a Power 5 football player, so that was never really going to happen. But when Dion moves to the Power 5 level and to the mm -hmm. Pac-12 um, at Colorado, like that becomes a real realistic opportunity, and he ends up at Colorado. Uh, all things considered, though, like K-State is, is improving, like in my opinion – their coolness because they've had success and because of, I think the way that they do things. Like, I don't think Chris Kleiman, someone that's like super flashy. He's obviously not a Deion Sanders. Are, are right? you saying but that like, Chris Kleiman's not cool? No, I'm not saying that Chris Kleiman's not cool, but like, I mean, who's cooler? Like Deion or like Chris Kleiman, like no one compares to Deion, but I think Chris Kleiman understands like who he is. And I think Chris Kleiman understands what he wants his program to be. And when you're going out and you're recruiting, like that's almost as important as landing the talent that you're circling on your recruiting board um, in the years before you actually start like bringing these kids into commitments um, and signing, like having an understanding of who you are and what you want to be and going out and getting players that fit that identity, that fit that culture is so important. Um, and I think Chris Kleiman kind of talked about it this week when he talks about, you know, the importance of player ownership and how, kids coming to K-State and kids coming to games 
in the fall when they're high schoolers sways kids to want to come to Mm K-State because it is a sold out crowd every Saturday. It's an, it's an environment that attracts people to want to go play there. Is it going to attract someone as much as playing at Notre Dame? No, probably not. But like, how many schools can realistically like fight off a Notre Dame, can fight off yeah. a USC when that school comes and swings? I mean, we saw it like literally like we're recording this on Tuesday night, uh, the day before signing signing day. Caden Proctor decommitted a five-star offensive tackle decommitted from Iowa. He had been believed to be the strongest commitment in Iowa's class for the longest time for months. And he flipped to Alabama day before signing day. Yeah. Like that's well, just a really good example of it. Where like, and Iowa has been a really good program similar to K state where they've been really consistent. Have they ever achieved, you know, the goal mm-hmm. of winning a national title? No, maybe not. Have they had a ton of success in the biggest marquee bowl games year in and year out? No, maybe not, but they've been uber consistent. How many college football fans would love for their program to be Iowa or BK state? A ton of them. And I think what I'm ultimately trying to say here is like what Chris Kleiman is building here is an identity that he's proud of and a culture that he's proud of. And I think he also really understands like what K-State's culture kind of is historically over the last 30 years that Bill Snyder kind of built. And he's still kind of keeping that in my opinion. Yeah, no, I I think he's been the perfect blend for K-State, whether it's on field or in recruiting, but he gets what the brand of K-State is, like the good part of the brand for K-State and what what made K-State so successful under Bill Snyder. He understood, and I think he fits this, like, okay, this is how it works. But he also knows, like, I have to put a 2022 spin on it. Like, I, that's why, that's why things didn't work out at the end for Bill Snyder was because there wasn't a 2018 spin on things. There was a 2003 spin on it. And even that, like, I don't know that that was still there. Um, I don't know that it was that up to speed. So it's significant. And I, I think that he not only is Chris Kleiman know what he's doing and have his certain appeal to these kids. I think he's assembled a staff of guys that all can fit different roles and you can see why guys would want to play for them and can get swept up in that because I mean, like you talk about making it cool. It's one of the goofy nerdy things that they did, but it shows a lot of personality and speaks to how much the guys in the offensive line room love Connor Riley that after a road wins, they were taking pictures with their shirt off together. Like it's a weird goofy thing but the fact that they have a coach that will do that with them and all of those guys have the biggest smiles on their face when they're doing that. And it's not because they just won a game. It's because they're enjoying spending time with their fellow offensive linemen. And the fact that their coach who's in his forties and fifties is out there with his shirt off with them. Like that's, that's special to them. And I think that you look around, like obviously what Colin Klein was able to do for, for Will Howard was significant. And I think having a guy that is a former Heisman finalist that played quarterback at this school, took them to a number one ranking, had them within grasp of playing for a national title, won a big 12 championship. Like that has its own appeal to it. And there are so many other guys on this staff. I mean, dudes love Van Malone. They love Buddy Wyatt. Like the list goes on and on. Joe Klanderman, he's the, he is the coolest coach on K-State staff. I feel comfortable saying that. I've been a Clandy man guy from the get-go. So that's uh, nothing new for me there, but that's been a big deal for them. And they found this niche for themselves. And then on top of that, they have not only are these guys fitting the persona that some of these players are looking for, but they're damn good football coaches that were able to, 
I mean, obviously, Felix, Anyadike, Uzama, and Deuce Vaughn, they had something special in them all along, and it probably would have come out wherever they ended up at, but not maybe to the level that it did at K-State. And so now they have these guys that they can point to and say, look what we were able to turn these guys into. And then on top of that, like, Felix and Deuce aren't just good football players, but they've risen the profile of K-State, and they've made it cool there. And that was something that I said um, – I'm trying to think wh- where it was and when it was. may have been when I was doing Bosco's Boys with Scott Wildcat last week. But just talking about how the the vibe around – oh, it was uh, I was on KSNT on Sunday and talking about football with, with Glenn. Um, and the thought process for me is that – those guys have made K-State football have this fun element to them. And all these guys on this team, they know when to have fun and and they can be loose and and mess around with each other, but they can also get down to business and know when it's that time. And I think that's different than the 2012 team, like the 2012 team. And obviously I was observing it from further away as just a, a freshman in high school fan of the team, but they seemed much more buttoned up this team. They'll have some fun with each other. I mean, even Chris Kleiman, like he comes into the press conference on Monday, and I don't think we ever would have gotten Bill Snyder to say what he said, like he's messing around and poking fun at Kenny Lanou about not having lunch out there for everybody. Like that's that's just the, the little things that this staff has done uh, right, and I think all that adds up into what they have in front of them, which is a class that, like you said, is at the worst going to be inside the top 35 and at the best is going to finish somewhere in the 20s when all is said and done. Uh, with the 2023 20, recruiting class. So uh, a very special time for K-State and, and a lot of things there. So that, that's enough for the the more broad picture stuff. Let's dive in uh, real quick to just the individuals uh, in this class. And obviously, Avery is the, the place to start with his talent. You got to see Avery Johnson with me earlier this year. I think we went and watched him play Salina South. Uh, what What were your thoughts of actually getting to see the man that I call the chosen one, the savior, whatever you want to call him, golden uh, boy. The golden boy. Uh, what were your thoughts when you actually got to see him in person the day before he we went to watch K State beat Oklahoma? When you've heard all the hype and all the name notoriety, but then you actually got to see him play. We're gonna need to come up with an actual nickname, like a like a certifiable nickname. Maybe we yeah, should start we a Twitter poll or something, or something on the message boards that like this is his nickname. It's gonna be well, the golden boy, the chosen, the chosen one. The- Depending on when you're listening to this, uh, tomorrow, tomorrow at four o'clock, uh, I will be similar to the videos we did with Deuce. So I will be doing that with Avery. So maybe I ask him if he's got anything cooked up that like he wants to put on T-shirts for NIL or somebody's already referred to him as. I will say this though, like you can't choose your own nickname. That's just not how this thing works. Um, anybody that chooses their own nickname, kind of a weirdo loser. So. That's true. What about like Shaq? Like Shaq kind of Shaq kind of did a lot of those. Yeah, like, I think it worked for Shaq, a bigger bottle. Well, but that one that was like the least of the ones that stuck. But yes, I think it kind of works for Shaq. Like Shaq had so many good nicknames. Speaking of Shaq, yeah, and I don't want to get too off track here. Um, are you aware of the HBO docu series right now on him that's been going? No, but when I was in middle school, I read his autobiography, Shaq Uncut. Really? I did. Was it good? Or is it like a real book? Like would someone my age read that or no? Yeah, yeah. No, it, you would. I, I can't remember what it was that, that I liked so much about it. But the only th- story that sticks out to me is about him. Uh, and again, this, we're getting off topic. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll cut this That's out. That's fine. We can get off topic. Um, 
But he talked about when he got to the Magic, he was trying to keep up with all of his other teammates. And so he would buy cars that he couldn't physically fit into. So then he would have to go and have them like customize. And he had all these custom cars that he didn't like, he didn't drive, and he still didn't fit in, that he wasted a ton of money on. So that, that's my shotgun cut story. Yeah, so anyway, there's a really good docuseries right now on HBO Max about Shaq, and I think he had a lot of influence on how it was made. That's just like my opinion based off watching it. It's very good, um, very interesting. Anyway, back to Avery. Um, obviously, a really good prospect. I remember going and watching him, and I kind of tried to go into it with tempered expectations. I mean, I knew where he was ranked. I knew he was very highly touted. Um, and I think on his first drive, he let a touchdown drive. Um, what I was really impressed with with him – was his poise in the pocket. I thought that's something that really kind of impressed me. He seemed to play the game really slow, almost in his mind. And I think that's something that, you know, very rarely do you see for a lot of kids. Um, and obviously he's at another level, right? Like he's always been the best player on his team. So the game probably does come a little slow to him. In terms of what he needs to do next when he gets to K-State, like he's got a lot of development that he needs to do physically. Um, obviously he's not the most physically imposing kid um, in this class. I mean, he is, you know, 6'2", so he's got good height, but he's just 170 pounds. So he's definitely going to need to add weight to play at that level and sustain hits, but you don't want to add too much weight because he obviously has, you know, really good running ability. So there's going to be a happy medium that has to be found there, but K-State's in a luxurious spot now, Mason, going into the 2023 season where there's not even going to be any discussion of him having to get on the field, um, barring a bunch of injuries. And I think being able to redshirt him, um, it's something that they would really like to be able to do if possible, because it ensures that he has another year of eligibility at K-State if, you know, he ends up having to use it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, developing physically is something that he's going to have to do. But thinking back and watching, obviously, a really gifted runner um, has a good arm, maybe not the greatest arm strength. Could probably improve that a little bit, but there's lots to obviously like there. Yeah, no, he uh, he can do he can do it all. And the run that he had for the first touchdown in the the Army All-American game this last weekend was a great showcase of, like, it's not just quarterback speed that he has, it's real speed that he possesses. So uh, it's going to be fun to watch to see how he plays. And, he, ha- I mean, he has everything that you could want in, in a player of his caliber. Um, you go and look at what he did a- as a quarterback. I can remember um, my first year in Wichita uh, when I first got started at KGSO. The first high school football game that I called for KGSO was the Mays Derby game that year. And as a sophomore, Avery leads Mays to a win against the top team in 6A, the the beast that's been winning all these titles. And then as junior year, they're on the road at Derby and they come up just short. But it's because they tried going for two and just getting the win at the end of the game instead. And then this past year where they're down by double digits and he leads Mays to an impressive comeback. He did everything that he could possibly do, uh, and it worked out. Like, it just everything about him is is something special to behold. And um, I mean, again, like, like it, it can sound like everybody's going overboard with the love and the hype they have for Avery Johnson, but I don't think that any of it is uncalled for for the way that he's played. And also, I mean, as cheesy as it sounds, the way that he's handled him and everything else, like. He is a legitimate great teammate. You can see that uh, in any of his games that he played and then also the way that he handles the the star factor that's come with him. Like, I don't know that K-State has had a guy 
like him. It helps that it's the social media age and everything that goes with it, but they've not had a dude like that um, that can come in and, and have the star power. I mean, maybe that there are, there are some people that are more keyed into it than I am. Um, Darren Sproles is like that, and that's impressive because that was well before social media, but it was you know the story of this, this little stud from the Kansas City area that helped his team win, win the state title and all this buzz, and he lived up to the hype. Um, Avery's done it in a, a much tougher era, I think, for those guys, and we see it with, you know, he, he showed up to a, a local 10-year-old's birthday party. Like, that's just – that's one of those things, and, and we saw him signing autographs after the game we went to against Salina South. So he's had to deal with a lot already, and uh, it, it's, it's well-deserved for him, and he's handled it all uh, very, very well. Is there anybody else in this class that stood out to you and kind of uh, putting our final prep together for it and everything that, that people will be able to read by the time they hear this uh, that, that you really like or uh, should be noted? Yeah, there's one that I kind of wanted to talk about. It's wide receiver Andre Davis. Um, I believe he's the seventh ranked player um, in the state of Kansas. Um, Top ranked receiver that K-State landed um, as we're recording this, assuming there's not any like major flips on signing day. He'll probably be the highest ranked receiver that K-State um, signs in this class. Um, I never got a chance to see him. I don't know if you've had a chance to see him, but what are your overall thoughts on just him as a prospect? Because I've been impressed with um, just his film. I, his size impresses me. He looks like someone that K-State can probably play on the outside a little bit um, as someone who stands, you know, six foot four, 200 pounds. I don't know how much development he has to do physically, but I thought wide receiver was a really big need for K-State in this class. And I think they tackled it really well with um, you know, Andre Davis being one of those guys that they landed, um, Leslie Watson being someone they landed, um, as well. And then obviously Jace Brown. And I think they did a really good job landing, um, a couple tight ends too, especially Will mm-hmm. Annie. Is it Antiox? Ancio, yes. Ancio, um, sorry. Um, is someone who looks like a good receiving threat to at six foot six and 225. So I think they addressed like pass catchers in general, but specifically, I thought Andre Davis was a good ad. Yeah. They, I, I think they did a really good job with all this. You can throw, um, you can throw some other guys into the mix as well. But Andre Davis is the guy that with the size that he has right now, and you think of what can be done once he gets to K-State, how that's going to play out for him. And uh, like one of the, one of the things to look at too with Andre Davis is he can, he still looks like a dude that has some growing to do in a lot of areas Um, as in like actual physical stature. I'm not talking, I mean, obviously there's growth that can be had with skill development, but he's already got some good ones there. So I think what they've done here is they've put together guys and and Davis that you can see as becoming a big time target to to look at and get after, and then you go ahead and see a guy like Wesley Watson that I like the potential of what he has and, and the way that that came about for K State and how they got on that pretty quick. I think tells you that they see something in him, and you can certainly see him providing a, a big role at some point. Not as like this number one receiver, but as a guy that you're going to look at as a, a, a solid uh, number two or number three, and you're going to be thankful that K-State has when he gets onto the field. And then, you know, Jace Brown is in the class, and, and that's a guy that they that they liked, got the commitment of uh, in the fall after he made a visit to a game. So that was significant as well. Um, and then uh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to jinx anything, but Trey Spivey is a guy from the state of Arizona that will get added to the class in all likelihood. And he's got, I mean, he's got a lot that you could like. He's got the film. He's got the stats. He's got the the background. His dad played five seasons of Major League Baseball. And so there's a lot to like with him and everything he can provide. And I, 
I just think that, that they did a great job there. You mentioned the tight ends. I've loved up Will Anstio because I've actually seen him in person and kind of know what to expect there. But they were also able to get another Colorado decommit, Andrew Metzger, yesterday or yesterday for us. That would be Monday. And like that's a big deal too because he's got a lot of things to, to kind of add up and like. And he was so, reoffered by Colorado too. Yeah. So they've they have done a great job here and they've put together a class where I think in past years there have been a few where, or more than a few where you look at and say, eh, I don't know about this one. That's a stretch. And that's more so stemming from like the Snyder type stuff. With Kleiman, they've done a really good job of all these guys that come in. There's some serious hype there. Another thing that shouldn't be overlooked is the fact that they've got three of the top 30 Juco commits in the class of 2023. Um, so they've got the linebacker, Rex Van Wy from Iowa Central. They also have Will Lee, the DB from Iowa Western. And then uh, it is expected as we record this, and it'll have probably happened by then, that Terry Kirksey, the linebacker from Hutchinson Community College, will commit as well and sign. So that's three really big deals there. And dudes that all look like they can immediately be contributors in some way. Will Lee was fantastic in the national championship game last week against Hutch. So there is there's a lot to love about every single level of this class. And, and there are guys that we haven't named um, that, that are still significant and shouldn't be overlooked. I mean, obviously the, the big one was Asa Newsom uh, the day before getting on board. He was a guy that K-State really wanted. And I know a lot of the fans were really interested in and following along with, and uh, that's a big deal to add a guy at linebacker like him. So I, I can't say enough good things about this. And I guess it's easy to do that when this is the highest ranked class K-State's had in a long time and they're sitting at number 30. I mean, that's the difference. Like I, I was looking at the 2018 class when you were talking about it, uh, a class that finished 52nd. And I'm looking at these dudes, um, some of which are still on the roster for K-State. Isn't that by terrible? The way. Isn't that terrible so, for your mind to like have to wrap around? <laughs> so Jalen Pickle was uh, from Cimarron. He was the third highest ranked guy in the class for K-State, as well as Christian Duffy, a starter on the offensive line this year. Uh, by the way, those guys can come back and play again next year. So, like, that's that's how crazy this whole thing is. Oh, never forget uh, John Holcomb. Rest in peace, Holcomania. Um, that was fun for, like, a little bit, uh, and then it wasn't. And he left. KT Leviston was a part of that class, also a starting offensive lineman this year. A um, couple of other contributors in that class that are here. Echo Boydo was a part of it. And then the lowest-rated recruit in the class of 2018 for K-State. He was a key contributor this season. And do you have any guesses on who it was? Sorry, what was the question? Our boss so, just texted us. Uh, key contributor this year for K-State. He was the lowest-rated recruit in the class of 2018 for the Wildcats. What position? Well, that Is would that give, it give it away. away. Yeah. But me saying um, it would give it away would probably tell you who it is or can kind of narrow it down for you. I'm going to I'm gonna take a guess and say it was like Phillip Brooks. Very, very close. It was Malik Knowles. So Malik oh, Knowles. Really? I, was gonna, I thought it would be one of those two. Yes, uh, Malik Knowles was the, uh, the lowest ranked guy in that class for K-State. And it worked out just fine for the Wildcats. It took a little bit. I mean, there was a lot to kind of get to it, though. Um, but he was he was fantastic for him this season. So I, I think there that's are, the thing. 
I was going to say, there's guys on the defensive side too. Like I talked about the need offensively being receiver. I think you'll agree with this, Mason, is that like DB is a huge need Mm -hmm. um, heading into next season because, um, you know, you kind of look at like, there's a chance that Echo Boydo's gone. There's a chance that Julius Brents is gone. And I think adding someone like William Lee can kind of come in and play right away. Like a lot of times those Juco kids can do that because they're a little bit older. Um, So I think he's someone who could contribute right away, but I like the Donovan McIntosh add too. Obviously, mm-hmm. a really good athlete. I, I think at first, people didn't know what position he would play. K State obviously recruits him to play defensive back. He's the third highest kid in the class. Like I think I, Van Malone's the one who was the lead recruiter. I think he was a really good add to the class. Um, and then Cam Dallas, I thought, is another really good add from Texas, um, who only had the one Power Five offer from K State. But I think you know you had Tulane was able to express an interest um, in him as well. Um, I guess I should say Arizona State also offered him. So you got him over Arizona State. But there was there was ads at defensive back that I mm-hmm. thought were integral because I think that defensive back is a position that they probably need to continue to add to. Well, and we saw some of the, the DBs this year that got looks. I mean, um, uh, it started at, at the, the beginning of the year. Omar Daniels was kind of in the mix. Um, VJ Payne was in there as well that got some looks. So – I mean, some of the guys that are in this class at DB, I, Will Lee, I think, is going to play next year regardless because he, I think, talent-wise is ready for it. But some of these freshmen are going to get the opportunity to come in and do some good things. Uh, Kanjiao Thomas is a guy out of Oklahoma that was probably the best corner in the state of Oklahoma and is going to have some really good things that he can do. So I, I like the additions they made on the defensive side of the football because – they loaded up on linebackers. This class is going to end up with like five linebackers. Uh, I, the defensive ends that, that they've brought in all have some good things to like, especially Jordan Allen, um, who who might take that next step as being, you know, the the next Kansas City area guy that is able to, to come and contribute to the K-State well, defense. A, and that was a big win too because Oklahoma really pushed for him after he committed to K-State. Yep. To be able to fight off the Sooners. And he took a visit to Oklahoma after he commits to K-State. Like, be able to fight off people that – you know, it, Avery had this a lot, um, especially for schools yeah. that didn't have quarterbacks. Like being able to fight off these bigger programs, going back to the cool factor, um, to keep them in your class if you're K State was huge. I thought. Yep, it was. Uh, it was definitely a big deal. This is going to be uh, obviously the, the best class that K State has had in a long, long time, uh, and plenty to like uh, about what is going to happen. And and we'll have all the signing day coverage by the time you hear this. Uh, most everybody will be be signed in the class, and then Chris Kleiman will get to give his thoughts on them on Thursday morning, 9 a.m. Uh, is when that's all going to take place because basketball threw things off for the football guys, so they can't do their, their regular signing day press conference tomorrow. Uh, so busy week for uh, K-State football and basketball, and we'll have uh, plenty of coverage from everything coming up. And then next week it's uh, time for the bowl game with Alabama. Uh, as we will be down in New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl, getting prepared for that uh, and everything else that goes with it. So uh, that is all the football thoughts that I have for now. There will be more to come uh, in the very near future. Uh, do you have any final football thoughts, Alec? I'm excited to get down to NOLA. I'm excited to cover the Sugar Bowl. Um, obviously, we're going to see some really good players down there with Bryce Young and Will Anderson both and opting in to play. <laughs> play in the sugar bowl um obviously will howard is opting in to play the sugar bowl if that needed to be mm-hmm. said so i'm excited to see um obviously some really talented players and 
I'm excited to cover, even though the game has lost some of its luster over the college football playoff era, it's still a New Year's Six Bowl. It's still one of the most historic games in college football history. So um, I'm excited to be down there and cover that, and we'll look forward to it. And I think that one, I think the Sugar Bowl has retained as much of its shine as it can versus some of the other ones where, like, the, I don't know, like, even the Fiesta Bowl to me doesn't feel as big anymore unless it's the one that feels the, the biggest. The one that feels the biggest to me is the Rose Bowl still. Yeah, propaganda. Uh, but again, like, I think that the Rose Bowl, I think there's people connected to the Rose Bowl that think it's a lot bigger than it is. Like yeah. for them to do all the stuff with the playoff, I thought was ridiculous. The beauty, the beauty of it is if K-State and Alabama go out and play a competitive and fun game, then it is going to get the love it deserves and it's going to get treated like the big bowl games of the past. I think that's the key thing. Like the Rose Bowl, the biggest win for them last year was that Ohio State and Utah played an awesome game. Like that game was going to be awesome, whether it was in Pasadena or if it was in uh, Miami at the Orange Bowl or wherever it got played. But it, it like as long as K-State and Alabama play a good game, then that's going to be remembered. And Chris Kleiman said on Monday that like he thinks outside of the playoff that that's probably the best bowl game that there is. And, and I, I'm not going to disagree with him on that because I got to be honest with you, I have zero interest in watching Penn State play in a Rose Bowl. Like I, I, don't, I don't think Penn State is all that great. And Utah, I am taking as a, as a big winner in that game. Um, I, the Orange Bowl doesn't doesn't do it for me this year because Clemson's playing playing in it and they're starting who was quarterback and then Tennessee is playing who was their backup quarterback like none of that gets me too terribly excited and for the Cotton Bowl I'll like be honest, I, the Orange Bowl kind of excited me because Kate Klubnick's playing like I'm I like over the Orange Bowl. like I was over watching DJ play I'm excited to watch Kate Klubnick play and honestly like. Joe Milton's got a cannon. He's really fun to yeah. watch. I was a big um, Joe Milton guy at Michigan. So, dude, he can throw a ball through a brick wall. He just has no touch on it at all. So, if he gets some touch on it, maybe he could win a Heisman next year because we know quarterbacks do well in that offense. Um, if you're looking for an early future bet on the Heisman, there, there's an interesting one. Um, I was going to, I was yeah, going to make a joke about, about Joe Milton being able to go find touch on the ball, but I'm not sure that it's a joke that I can make given my current. Uh, status uh, with whom I'm employed by. If I was on radio still, I absolutely would have made the joke, but I'm not going to solely the good name of rivals. So I'll just tell you when we're done. Um, and then you can tell me <laughs> if, if it was appropriate or if I should share it at some point. Um, but it has to do with teams that were mentioned there. And I thought it was clever. and oh, would have been fun. Okay. So, I, know, I know where you're yeah, going with this. I'll talk about right. that. We don't need to uh, do that at, at a later time. So, yeah, the, it's going to be fun. Sugar Bowl, we'll be down there. Uh, have plenty of coverage for you on that. And uh, I guess enjoy the the trip down and everything that New Orleans goes to to give to it. So we'll have, we'll have a preview next week of that game, and uh, we'll have that up. That way, if you are driving down to New Orleans, you can listen to us for at least a little bit. We're not going to do like a 12-and-a-half-hour podcast for you. Although maybe you don't that want to? Cool. No, I don't know how you do that. I'm trying to think the best way to how you would kill multiple, multiple, multiple hours on end for that. But uh, that'll do it for us. We'll have all the coverage that you need from signing day for the Sugar Bowl, for basketball, and everything else that might pop up in between there. But that'll do it for Alec and I. Follow along with us over at EMA Online on Rivals, and we'll talk again soon.